I've got to get my cargo to a certain planet by a certain time. So, unless you have Benamite lying around, and no one does, I can't fly quantum slipstream. Tachyon solar cells are slow as shit. And <laughs> don't even get me started on trilithium. All of which means, thanks to you, I need more dilithium. The only place I can trade for it is at the mercantile. And there's not one damn thing good about me sticking my head up at the mercantile. Right, baby? You have a very large cat. Yes. She has a thyroid condition. Does she have a name? Grudge. Because... She's heavy. And all mine. Welcome to Strange and New Takes. I'm your host, Notch Karnick, and with me, 930 years in the future are... Bill Voiwan. Adam Bowen. Emily Bowen-Marler. And Rudy Kispaker. So, Strange New Takes is a Star Trek-themed podcast that's supposed to be covering Strange New Worlds, but with so much Trek already, we have jumped in a little early, we've covered Lower Decks, and now we're moving on to the next Trek. So we're super, super excited to bring you our new, um, our new podcast for Discovery Season 3, Episode 1, That Hope Is You, Part 1. But before we get there, we want to encourage you to follow us on social media. At Strange New Takes on MySpace and WeChat, <laughs> and also Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. <laughs> Uh, please make sure to tell your friends to listen to us. We super love getting strange new listeners from all over the world, and your recommendations will get us there. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Your rating will help us appear higher on search lists when people look for a Star Trek podcast to listen to. And just as a heads up, this podcast, literally every single one of our podcasts, includes spoilers for this episode. And... You better believe it. We are 930 years into the future. We are going to spoil absolutely everything. Snape kills Dumbledore. Uh, the, uh, so uh, it, if, <laughs> if you don't want to be spoiled by things, including what I said uh, 15 seconds ago, you should have already hit pause on this bad boy. And uh, uh, that, uh, yes, the, the episode is season three, episode one. Uh, that hope is you. So uh, we're going to start spoiling everything in uh about five seconds here so join us i i gotta say <laughs> that we have one rating so far on itunes uh by c-h-a-n-t-r-e-s 23 <laughs> and i think i know who that is um as a five-star rating and I, since i promised to read all the five-star ratings here it is this new star trek pod is poised to cover all star new trek that is being released into the world and it's clear that they know, love and know their track. Each week, the rapport between the panel grows, and each episode is a bit tighter than the last. Join this crew every week to hear their strange new takes on all new track. Whoever wrote this obviously got very wrong, because we're going to talk about old track, too, at some point. So, <laughs> literally unreadable review. I, I yeah. have... And we, 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 we were not tight at all on that episode uh, uh, that had the extended uh, uh, tendy time, so... Yeah. Okay. By Tendi, I, I, I said the wrong character. Oh my God. Mariner. It's, well, Lord X is uh, behind us now. Yeah, it doesn't I've matter. I've forgotten about it. it. Who cares? 
Uh, just, just to you, <laughs> dear listener, if you do want to give us a rating, and I would str- strongly encourage you to do that, you can get there by going to www.strangenewtakes.com. That's our website. Hit the subscribe button, and then there's a convenient link to our Apple Podcasts page. You'll need an Apple account uh, to do that. If you have an iPhone, you probably have one of those. If you don't, you can sign up for one. Um, but but put us, rate us over there, please. And we promise not to make fun of your reviews. I, I won't, because they won't have been done by one of us. So um, it, I'm leaving this podcast. No. <laughs> um, but anyway, How do you read us? No. Uh, Discovery has been renewed for season four. A bit of news before we get into talk about the episode. Oh, yeah. There was yeah. I, I didn't know this because uh, I, I wasn't deep into Star Trek social media until only about a month or two ago, but. Uh, apparently, there was like this big group of people a few months ago being like, Discovery has been canceled already. My mother's friend knows somebody who walked by the sets and they were destroying them. It's over. Uh, and and so this was a thing because when it got renewed, Trek Movies, uh, TrekMovie.com's, I think, Twitter page was like showing receipts, like putting up old tweets being like, yeah, take that. I mean, that's paraphrasing a little bit but they were like yeah y'all were wrong discovery's back uh and they're gonna start filming very soon i believe like december or so yeah did y'all did y'all see when they were gonna Hmm. production starts in november yeah that's uh i saw something about production was starting on three different star trek series right i think i did read the article but there's three different ones that are getting ready to start prodigy yeah i think picard is going next after discovery and then um Strange New Worlds will be after that. Prodigy is already, I think, in there because oh, okay. it's it's animated, of course, and uh, um, they've they've I think they've already got some work done. But yeah, I, uh, they had an interview with um, uh, Kate Mulgrew, and I think she's recorded one or two episodes already. I wonder who the rest of the cast is. Probably some child actors. Anyway, uh, let's move on to talking about this episode. That hope is you, part one. Isn't, isn't that the, like the last line of some song, That Hope Is You? You'll, you'll know where that's from. It sounds like, I feel like I want to start singing now, but yeah, I can't, it's not coming to my mind. Yeah, I don't I don't remember, because we don't re- usually talk about why an episode is named something, uh, but you know, it, it's kind of implies something about Burnham, who shows well, up I mean, in the lo- it's in the episode. He actually says that. Really? Yes, it's towards the what, end of the episode. What is this? Some kind of are you all some kind of astronauts on some sort of Star Trek? <laughs> Star Trek? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's get to that in a second. Episode summary: Burnham navigates a strange new galaxy. Hey, that's close to the name of our podcast. Strange new galaxy, nine hundred thirty years in her future, looking for the rest of the Discovery crew. Uh, that's from Memory Alpha. That that summary. Uh, this episode was also written by Michelle Paradise. That's a great name. Uh, Jenny Lumet, Alex Kurtzman. It was directed by Olatunde Osun Sanmi. I will get better at reading that name as it comes up more often. The same person who I think directed um, Calypso too. And the in-universe date is 3188. We are in a 32nd century. Y'all, let me get your 32nd century strange new takes. Okay, uh, so starting us in the 32nd century is hopefully something that's still relevant then. Uh, Give your chickens pumpkins. They will really enjoy that stuff. Uh, (laughs) And this is off-brand for me, but I I did prepare that over five minutes ago. So, uh, (laughs) yeah, for for the episode Strange New Take, uh, I am excited for the first season 
of Star Trek Discovery where we do not fire the showrunner halfway through the season. I may have jinxed them just by saying that. But Wait, did that happen again? <laughs> yes. Uh, they, they fired the showrunners again uh, in... Uh, it, it was... Um, Yes. Oh, okay. I know. I know about the second time. I was wondering if it happened the third time. <laughs> no, 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 no. no, no, no. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Not yet. That, that's why I said I, I might have jinxed them, but I, I, I'm hopeful that we're going to have like a much tighter season of of Discovery because it's, I, I have loved a lot of Discovery, but I can definitely uh, see places where they seem like they kind of forgot what they were talking about halfway through. Uh, you know how times? book book says the the ban was when the galaxy took a hard left. Well, <laughs> Discovery has taken some hard lefts. Uh, yes, in several times. So yes. yeah, I, I'm I'm just ex- I'm excited to see, uh, kind of kind of a, a more consistent vision. I, at least my my reading of it is that I, th- and maybe this is just wishful thinking. I, the I really liked a lot of parts of of season two, and I feel like they were the more sort of optimistic, uh, like. Let's get back into some uh, good old Trek feels like and I, I I feel like those are the people that are left running the show right now. So I, I'm excited to see what happens in this season. Awesome. I'll go next. Also hoping in the 32nd century they have figured out um, how to build masks that help uh, while doing heavy cardio exercising because I am still figuring that out. Oof, yeah, it's um, rough. But getting there, I think it's it's a little bit of learning. Um, that's my general strange strange new take. And just for discovery, um, non commissioned, but now recently commissioned Star- Federation officer Aditya Sahil for the win. We will talk more about him. I love the actor. He stole that from me, man. We finally got an Indian with an Indian name. No more Ash Tyler. No more Captain Rubido or Robao or whatever his name was. Like, we finally get, like, Aditya Sahil, man. Oh, I don't want to cosplay as this guy. That suit was so weird. It's like typical Star Trek. Like, ah, yeah, just knock the lapel off. It's cool. That looks like it's futuristic. If you remember, Notch, it's kind of like my wedding suit. If you <laughs> no, no, you had the Nehru collar, dude. I do remember. Wait, didn't he? Ha- oh, he had like a. He didn't. He didn't have a. He didn't have a plush Nehru collar. He had some weird. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I. Like I, a V-shaped thing going. Hey, on. Yeah. I got posed like putting your collar together at your wedding. I remember what it looks like. <laughs> so, anyway, more strange we'll new takes. Yeah, there you see, our, see our Twitter feed for pictures of his collar. Yeah, there you go. We'll take that note. Tweet out picture of Anirudh at his wedding. Okay. <laughs> okay, my strange new take is if you're going to be staying in St. Louis, you should stay at the Home Two Suites by Hilton if you want to experience the softest sheets ever on a bed. They were pretty awesome. So there's my that's my strange new take because usually you don't get soft sheets at hotels. But my strange new take for this episode is can we stop with the dystopian future already? Mm. Anyway, I just... Uh, <laughs> Okay. I don't, I, I don't. Yeah, we could talk more about it. It doesn't. It, right, that right. does not yeah, necessarily yeah. influence my overall opinion of the episode. But it's just, as I watched it the second time, especially, I was like, hmm. 
Sorry, I, I, I mean, guess you can't see my face when you're listening to a podcast. <laughs> we're, we're 13 episodes in here. I'm ready for uh, for an episode where Emily says that this is all garbage and uh, throws it straight in the trash can. So, yeah, let's let's do it. <laughs> Minus 10 on 10. <laughs> so, um, my my strange new take is... People who sell clothes on eBay are horrible at putting this right sizing in there. Just, I have bought three used pieces of attire on eBay thinking I was like doing the world a favor. And all that I did was, you know, add three trips to the post office for me to send things back because the sizing was all wrong. (laughs) Anyway, strange you take on the episode. I will say that the 32nd century is wild if you really truly reflect on what that means because it would be like some dude wearing like wolf skin and a cloak and a iron sword jumping into like today's world and being like yo why aren't y'all working on farms because yeah like (laughs) what is this who's your lord and and I mean, we <laughs> barely have like good records of some parts of the world, like some parts of the Western world, you barely have good records from 1090. So we can like kind of say some people who ruled back then exist. Like that is how mm-hmm, far mm-hmm. we're talking about in, in the future compared to where we're coming from. So I don't think that like watching, it, it really hits you unless you start thinking about it in those terms. Mm. And I will, I will, was, I will give credit to somebody on Reddit who mentioned the thing about the dude with the cloak, because uh, that 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 got my mind thinking. I was like, yeah, oh my sure. god, that's a lot, man. Well, and mm. we, we can get into this later, but I, I I think that they did some some great visual work with this episode that that gives us some of that feel. Mm. Okay. <laughs> All right, I'll close things out with my. <clears throat> very strange and new. they're actually the newest takes since i'm going last mm-hmm. so i'm ready that was, that was my strategy there <laughs> uh okay so i'm gonna go with another sheets themed strange new take <laughs> emily i, I like <laughs> when you let off with that so if you have a comforter or a duvet in case we have listeners uh in countries where they say duvet and you have a cover for that comforter or duvet you do not need the sheet to go between the mattress sheet and the comforter cover Hmm. don't need it totally redundant in terms of star trek Um, yeah, I mean, I get it. I get it what the writers are trying to do here. I think that, uh, Brian Fuller, you know, we, all the Star Trek fans were happy when it was announced that he was, uh, leading Star Trek. Little did we know that he would leave a hot steaming <clears throat> turd on, on Alex Kurtzman's uh, front doorstep and that, you know, basically they'd spend two, two years trying to fix, uh, what he kind of the flawed concepts that he originally um, proposed for the show. And so this is actually not unlike what they did with the, uh, the Kelvin universe movies where they just want to, yeah, shake the edge of sketch, get a really clean uh, slate from which they can, can start anew. Um, so I get that. And it seems like I, I was 
pleasantly surprised. I think I'm, I'm optimistic about what they're going to do with it. What was Fuller's original concept again? I, I forget what the like because there was there was some there's like some grand theme well, that he was. He, oh yeah, he said like every season it would be a different. It was like an yeah. anthology. Right. Yeah, that that was the idea. Yeah, and I think I mean I, I like Discovery. I'm I'm a fan, although I think it has been problematic in some ways. But I I think the uh, you know just for example the idea of having Burnham have like a human that was raised by Vulcans like terrible. It's the worst idea ever. Uh, you know because like it works for Vulcans to be like a you know, walking, talking computer, yeah. you know, and it works for Spock or Tuvok because actually any time they do anything interesting, it's when they violate that norm and when Spock shows emotion <laughs> or when Tuvok, you get a little glimpse of emotion, right? And with a human, it's just like makes them a boring and repressed. person. You know, it does, yeah, I, did, I think that was a really bad idea. Uh, the Klingon War, mm -hmm. was like, I, I, I didn't really get that. So I think, like, the, just the original design of the show was really problematic and and everybody since then has just been trying to like fix it well i think i think maybe some of this we can get into when we get to our season recap and we can talk about some of the characters in more detail and what we've thought about season one and two because we've been hinting at that we've never discussed it on the pod mm -hmm. um but I, I i see what you're saying about the character of burnham and we'll get to that when we talk about her today because i think some of what you're grading on graded on me in this episode but uh let's let's move into talking about this episode um and i want to start actually with the expansion of the world of trek i know we start and the notes start with story and writing but i think mm -hmm. we have to set the scene because this is such a different world that we're stepping into this is for all intents and purposes a new franchise right like it, yeah. it is i mean there there's some of the same names and i bet some of the old callbacks will be there it's consistent with you know we got references to voyager and stuff like that in this episode uh concepts created mm -hmm. in there but it's so it's such a different world and first of all i mean i make the point 32nd century that's that's again 1090 is 30 is relative to us what burnham or what people in the 32nd century think of when burnham came from so for yeah. them it's it's yeah. it's like someone from 1090 stepping into 2020 and another timeline-related note, this is the latest that we've conclusively been dated in the Star Trek universe because Calypso in, is canon. But in Calypso, they just say that the ship has been sitting derelict for a thousand years. They don't actually tell you the start date. And so we don't actually know when the ship was abandoned. Like, it could be in the 32nd century, right? Like, the, they could be showing the 42nd century in Calypso. We don't know um, for sure. So Calypso could be later, but we're not sure. Mm -hmm. This is, though, 100 years after the Temporal Cold War. So, you know, Jonathan Archer jumps forward in time to the 31st century in Enterprise. This is 100 years after that as well. All right. So what else have we noticed about the 32nd century? It's just like every other dystopian future that we see on any sci-fi show or movie ever. Like they're all identical, <laughs> and I don't. Wait, well, and they even did it. It even reminded me of what, like, what was the episode in Picard where they went to the, um, uh, where they went to the station. Yeah, you know, they um, had all the ads and everything. And Blade oh, Runner, Starlight Star Star yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, I mean, but I feel like Blade Runner has this. I mean, it's like just everything, mm -hmm. like every single futuristic. Mm -hmm 
sci-fi movie or show that I see that is not that is dystopian looks exactly like this. I'm kind of tired of that. Like I want to see something different. Neon, thin plastics, mm-hmm. cellophane, um, Iceland. The worst of <laughs> yeah, capitalism. Well, and, and, and the main character is always a smuggler. And right, everyone's uh, yeah. morally corrupt. Everyone's trying yeah. to to you know swindle someone else out of something, or you know, it's just yeah. I mean, the 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 core one of the core concepts that they've that underpins this world now is scarcity, right? Like we've we've brought the mm-hmm. economics back into Star Trek. Like I preached there on is, that this morning. Anyway, there is <laughs> there there is resource scarcity of dilithium because of the ban, which we find out what that is. Is that the dilithium just went boom one day, and hopefully you find out how. Uh, it's not like you know the. And end of discovery is someone stepping into the restaurant to tell Tony Soprano what happened to the dilithium and it just fades to black. <laughs> um, but <laughs> now the scarcity means that there's money, means that there's more to steal. I'm really curious what the Ferengi are like in the 32nd century. Um, and mm. and again, there's this there's this slowness because you can't get everywhere quickly, right? Anymore because dilithium is is what goes into the antimatter reactors. Um, there are some other reactors established, some other ways of going to warp established in Star Trek, but those are much slower uh, from what I understand. Uh, ex- except for quantum slipstream drive. We, exactly. we, we do mention yep, that yep. in this episode. So, well, And what um, did he say it was that he used to... Enter- I think he needs the dilithium to power was his quantum slipstream okay. drive, which it, like that was, was not how they did it in Voyager. Drive. There was like something like a benzite crystal or something like I, that but see i feel like he said some other crystal that was not benamite yeah mentioned benamite yeah i feel like okay that was yes yeah. that, that is what they powered it with in in voyager so he did mention it okay um yeah my my i i didn't read it that way my understanding was that they, they crash and he's he's basically saying you know i have this array of different drives on mm-hmm. the ship you know the quantum slipstream drive is broken for whatever reason. Okay. The blah 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 drive is broken. The blah 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 drive is broken. So we have to resort uh, to okay. That makes sense. Getting more dilithium. Well, so that's <clears throat> that's interesting. The ship having multiple power ways powering itself makes sense, right? Yeah. Um. And and I I think uh, it's 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 interesting because we we have so we have both that that dilithium scarcity, but there's also a mention that the Gorn have destroyed two light years of subspace in the region, which. Uh, is an effect that the Omega particle uh, has mm-hmm. that we've seen in uh, in Voyager. Um, the Omega I, directive being the episode. Yeah. yeah. So the, the uh, where that particle has a capability of destroying regions of subspace so that you can't use warp anymore. Um, and so I, I'm wondering if that is a, is that just something that happened very locally here? Or is this sort of a galaxy wide usage of that? Um, right. That, happened maybe in some sort of relation to the burn or maybe triggered it i'm i'm a little uncertain with that well the interesting thing is they're still using dilithium even though it sort of mm-hmm. ignited right one day and right. took down the federation mm-hmm. so they're still using it um and as a segue right um so i get i get there's new forms of propulsion which is great right you want to do that in a thousand years and you know they mentioned interesting stuff like tachyon sails um, but mm-hmm. apparently it's too slow. Um, but uh, interesting call out to the ship designs, at least the single person ship designs. Um, I won't go as far as saying that I kind of thought that the first scene was a blender blade chasing a pocket knife. Right? Um, <laughs> 
but it looks like they're kind of taking um a you know a page out of star wars and you know these little uh asymmetric ships that sort of are gimballed and rotate you know Mm-hmm. In a fun manner, I don't know if it's for merchandising, excitement among younger audiences, um, but Star Trek and Starfleet has been a little more, I don't know, regimented is the right word, and that's that's what they're trying to get away from, but I, I, I found that interesting, and I, I don't know where they'll go with it. Well, um, at, at least in-universe, there's sort of a, a reason to go away from what we've seen before, because we, we don't have the Federation with Starfleet around anymore. So we don't have that sort of overwhelming uh, preference to like, there's two nacelles and they are attached to a star drive, which then has a saucer section that is uh, part of that. Like that culturally, that might not be a thing anymore. So there's there's an opportunity to deviate. I want to caution us from taking too many kind of lasting takeaways about this universe from what we've seen. We've seen one Mm. planet, Hema, right? We've seen two ships. Um, and which is why I think I agree with your point, Emily, about like what we saw, but I don't know what's coming next and I don't know where they're going to go. And I think this is the kind of cool aspect of everything being slowed down is that that mm-hmm. homogeneity that we've seen in previous Star Trek can break down, right? You can have radically different sectors. Somebody on Reddit was talking about there can be multiple Starfleets, like basically clusters of Starfleet vessels became Mm. cut off from other clusters. And so there could be multiple, like, we don't know. And so you got to maintain a little bit of that, like, not really sure what this world is. I will say, though, that the world, the the city that we saw in Hema looked a lot less dystopian than I expected it to look in terms of its, like, wide-angle shot. I expected, like, you know, the, the... Emily, before we recorded, you were talking about Shockwave Part 2 or the end of Part 1 where Archer goes back and everything's destroyed. That's what I was expecting. Instead, we get like, it looks nice there. Like, that, there's that like big thing in the sky and it's like, you know, there's a walkway and all the buildings look okay. Like, it doesn't look like a society in ruin like yeah. or in decrepit, like whatever. That like Marketplace does. But the rest of it looked all right. So... I'm just curious what the other places are going to go. Is. And I think this is this is the excitement I have for the 32nd century is there's so much we could do. Oh, my God. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It, it, so just a, a couple of thoughts on that. One, I, I think uh, talking about the ships and stuff, I think the production values were just amazing. Oh, for sure. Like this, this episode looked great. And I, you know, the thought actually, I mean, it's like movie quality, right? And um, we'll see how well this ages right but i really thought watching it like how could you do it any better yeah you know i mean maybe in 10 or 20 years we'll look back and it will look dated probably but really it's like wow i, I thought yeah it was and, and, and actually it, and the- it was it kind of um because for, for me uh the ending regardless of how like weirdly different it is from all other star trek like battles that have happened but the ending of season two had uh what was for me some of the most like compelling space battles that we've ever seen in Star Trek. And I, I do understand that it, it's like completely separate from anything we've ever seen before. Like we've never known that the ships even have like little tiny shuttles that can be used to attack anything. But um, the production values that were present in that last episode have been carried forward into this one where uh, yeah, there, there's, I think they're getting a lot more creative with how they're visually representing things and also like rethinking how uh, things happen in space and how things look in the future. And I, I'm, I'm really excited to see 
even that aspect of this season, regardless of everything else. One more thing. Yeah. Sorry, I, I wanted to get us to one more point before we, yeah, we, fine, we fine. keep moving forward, which is the shapeable matter. So we see that right in the first scene of this episode where Sahil is sleeping on a bed that just dissolves into the ground. Uh, you can see that with uh, Book's ship where the counters yeah. are just kind of floating in space. There's just more that you can do with matter in Star Trek now. And I feel like that's another one of those core concepts that they can use to create different storylines. Like this, the existence of this, whatever it is, however they do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that's something I wanted to point us to as well. Yeah, because really, that in terms of uh, specific visual differences, that that is sort of the replicator or the transporter of the 32nd century that can make make us really define this era from all others. Yeah. Let's let's move into talking about story and writing. And um, Adam, there was there was an aspect of this that kind of got to you a little bit. Yeah. So. The uh, so well so a, a difference between uh, lower decks and and discovery is now I am watching uh, uh, season three of Discovery uh, with my wife so we have I have someone who is not a huge gigantic nerd that is watching it uh, with me so I I I, ha- I have the everyman's view or the every woman's view of of Star Trek uh, as we're going so what's what's interesting uh, that struck us in this episode is it is a whole lot of just telling us what's going on rather than showing us. And I, and I, I feel like the, to some degree that writers didn't trust the visual storytelling that was going to be happening through the, uh, like the different types of ships that we're seeing the matter shaping, sort of making it very obvious that something is very, very different about this, uh, this 930 year in the future world that we're seeing. But um, for, for both of us, it it kind of uh, it got grating as the episode went on, where it it seems like every five minutes we need to explain to Michael Burnham like, oh, this thing is also different in the future, and let me let me lay out like these seven things that happened in the past one hundred and twenty years, and like, uh, okay, and it, like I I think uh, a tweak that this episode might have been able to use is instead to go with. Maybe we don't even see Michael Burnham for the first 90% of the episode. I, I think it would have been fine to just follow Book. And like, because he doesn't need any explanations of things, but the the situations that he's get that he gets into are completely understandable without context. Like mm-hmm. we we can understand that someone's chasing him. He says says something about stealing something. We can get into the uh into the city. Maybe he still crashes. Uh but there there are enough opportunities where we could have been slowly introduced to this world and seen how different it is from the Star Trek that we're used to. Um and it it could have been an interesting way to kind of um slowly bring in this new world for us get us comfortable with it before maybe the one of the last scenes could be uh something else falls out of the sky it's it's michael burnham he sees someone who has this uh starfleet symbol and we understand that that is not something that's normal anymore Fire the showrunners again. We got to put Adam yeah. in there. There we go. Need to change <laughs> the story. Yeah. Yeah. As, lo- as long as you put me at the helm, I tr- trust me, everyone. Star Trek will be amazing from now on. No one will have uh, uh, hate hate filled posts on Star on uh, Reddit or anything like that. It'll be a hundred percent five star ratings from then on. 
<laughs> Emily, did you did you catch that that issue as well, or was was your reaction different? Um, I I see that didn't bother me so much. I mean, I was obviously wondering. I I like Michael Burnham. Sorry, I feel like there are I a lot of people that don't said. like Michael Burnham. But I do like her. Um, and uh, so I'm fine following her throughout the story and kind of seeing things unfold. And and obviously it's going to be shocking when you come from an era where the Federation is really strong and thriving to find out that the Federation doesn't exist. But at the mm -hmm. same time, it's a thousand years in the future. And if you look at, you know, over the course of history, obviously things are going to be totally different a thousand years later so sure. you know so in some ways it's like i understand the shock for her but it's also like well i mean what'd you expect like of course things are right. going to be really different but um i didn't i i kind of and now it was not like lower decks where they're peppering things like you know seven things in every sentence are callbacks mm -hmm. to star trek but i did appreciate there were a few little things that were nice little callbacks without being overwhelming that kind yeah. of felt like not, not easter eggs but um just a few things that could place uh, yeah that could help us place things but also like so we weren't recording yet but we had some cool conversations before we started recording the podcast about um, well, what things did we think had happened? You know, do we think what happened in that episode of, or at the end of um, Shockwave, did, do we think that that was the burn? You know, or, you know, starting to see if yeah. there were things that happened and were some seeds that were planted in Enterprise, if actually that's what's informing what's yeah. happening in Discovery. Maybe not, but it's kind of fun to talk about that and to, to be able to um, uh, start seeing if there's places where we can connect, can connect some threads. Yeah, and, and actually, I, I think I, I did appreciate kind of the, the pace of, like you said, Easter eggs or references that we're having now. I I, I got a little overwhelmed with it in, in Lower Decks after For a sure. while. Uh, but th this one, yeah, it's it seems like like we just have one-off mentions of like Quantum Slipstream Drive or the Gorn yeah. or things like that. But it's not like a, remember when the Gorn did this thing? We did, <laughs> we have, we've never heard about the Gorn using the Omega Particle as far as I remember. Uh, but it's... I mean, we've only had like two or three references in the entire yeah, existence yeah. of of Star Trek about the Gorn, right? Yeah, right. and I think and I think also that there were there were maybe references or Easter eggs outside of Trek. I caught a couple that I saw. I'm gonna run them by you and see if you think the same. So for me, BSG, um, the start of the miniseries, a single officer holding vigil. Um, um, waiting, right? right. Like the, the way they were waiting for the Cylons. Interesting, the same period, 40 years. He also mentions 40 years. Hmm. Um, and and then there's another series, um, if you've heard of it, Andromeda, where there's this ship that wakes up a thousand years in the future and, and is trying to rebuild. Andromeda is a Gene uh, Roddenberry concept as far as I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. So, <laughs> so call out there. Um, and I think, again, going back, I think, you know, dystopian is dystopian, obviously, it's 2020, but um, if somebody goes back to Asimov's Foundation series, there is there is an appeal in in witnessing a decay, a destruction, and the hope to bring it back back again in a in in a season across multiple episodes. If it's a movie, it's it's a bit much, right? Mm -hmm. Like yeah, a lot to do. So um, yeah, well, and uh, I I didn't sorry. I, I'm I'm excited for uh what I I feel like 
maybe is part of the potential of this this season and and i think this might be sort of the arc that we're going for is uh we've destroyed most of the methods of warp of warp drive or at least made it completely unreliable so that we can't really contact people that are outside of our what is it 600 light year bubble that we have around us um discovery has the uh the displacement drive and is is capable of going anywhere in the i think the universe but at least the galaxy instantaneously and uh i think something that i've been missing from star trek uh or or maybe not even that it's been gone in star trek but rather that 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 i want star trek to be exploring is this idea of not just taking for granted that we have the federation and that we get to be all high-minded and uh like look down on everyone for being barbarians but like the idea that we believe in the in the federation so much and the principles that it on which it's founded that we can try to build a new one and i mm-hmm. like so i i i i get the frustrations with us going into yet another dystopia but i feel like the purpose of this season especially watching like those last 15 minutes uh with uh the uh non-commissioned officer uh who becomes commissioned uh sort of i don't know that, that she says like now you're an officer uh, rather than like takes out a sword like touches him on yeah, both yeah, shoulders yeah. <laughs> but the, you are hereby <laughs> but the thing is like where i i think we're getting an opportunity to kind of refound the federation and understand mm-hmm. like what like why is it good or or how how did we get there without having to have a show where we go back to oh sorry I know that Enterprise was supposed to be about this, but we said it too early. And then we had to like end the last episode with like, oh, and we also founded the Federation and uh, Archer was there. The end. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I think the issue that you raised with with Burnham, uh, people having issues with Burnham's character, Bill, or Emily, and then Bill, you raised the issue of um, Burnham being written by Brian Fuller. I think some of my the things that irritated me about the writing uh, in this episode have to do with that issue where it really feels like the lines Sonequa Martin-Green is saying aren't what she's acting sometimes. And that's I think it's because the plot puts her in a place where the character is doing things that are odd given the character's like background like that whole vulcan thing you know this episode she's having all these extreme emotional reactions Mm -hmm. like how how does that square with a character who was like raised on vulcan right like it it, to me it's it's just it 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 always feels like something where um it's different and i i have tried i have just decoupled her past with who she is like and that's my way of kind of enjoying the performance because sonico martin green is a great actress she's doing a great job portraying burnham but it's just like I have sometimes felt that that character just is shown when it's very convenient as being very impulsive and kind of um, a very, a character who moves the plot along by doing crazy things. And and there, there's one of my other favorite shows is The West Wing. And I think that is the one show where the lines, or at least in the first four seasons, the lines and the characters are like, perfect fits like you you cannot you very rarely and you notice it immediately when a character says something that is just wrong in your head 
And I feel like Star Trek, for the most part, sticks to that. They, they don't usually put their cat... Like, there's sometimes a Janeway are like, oh, I'm not sure what's happening here. Or, mm. or sometimes with um, other plot device characters in Deep Space Nine, you have you have the situation where you're you're like, this is not something that would happen. But I, I came across that a few times in this episode where I was just like, what's what is happening? Like, why is this the way it's happening? Like, why would Burnham be like immediately laughing and then sad and all this stuff? Like, I, I can't imagine a character like or a person. If they've been shot 930 years in the future, maybe, you know, they've had this, like, big battle that happens. Wouldn't you just want to just sit there for a little while and process what has happened instead of it just being this, like... I don't know. Maybe it's it's the pace difference also between Discovery and Lower Decks. But that whole, like, sequence in the beginning with the suit, it was just, like, I was just sitting there being like, what is happening? Like, why? What What is this doing for me? And I, I don't know. Maybe y'all can help me... I, process that whole sequence well you know her reaction um so she was going forward 930 years into the future on the faith that it would mean that there would be a future and so she for was holding her breath until the suit was able to tell her that multiple life signs were detected Mm -hmm. you know she was holding her breath Mm -hmm. as to whether or not there was any life at all in um the universe the at that point or in the galaxy yeah. at that point. So, so that's why she has such an extreme reaction when she finds out there is life. It's like, Holy shit, this worked, okay. you know, like, like this actually worked. I can't believe that this, this gamble that we took, that this is how we had to solve this problem, which, you know, there, it's still on discovery. Right. So I don't know where, what's going to happen with, um, I forgot what the name of it is already. Control. Control, Control yeah. you know. But but anyway, so I mean like that's why I felt like she was having those reactions. And then the then the you know, the when she's just sitting there kind of on her knees and she's sobbing, that was a little bit later. And I think that's just the yeah, there may be life, but she's utterly alone and doesn't have like she's totally disconnected. And she had some emotional breakthroughs in season two that I felt mm-hmm. like kind of set that those serve to separate her Vulcan upbringing from the fact that she's human. Like I felt like they tried to make some of those moves in season two to help sever that. Yeah. I, I think they, they're kind of, at least the way that I'm reading it is that they're realizing that she's a more compelling character when it's not just like that. She's mm-hmm. uh, like unemotional sciencey Burnham. Like mm-hmm. the, she is a, a more compelling person to watch when we're seeing her like process things in, in real time. And actually for, for me, I I really enjoyed that first moment where she like w- what we were just talking about where she's she's processing that she that it actually worked and that uh she is uh also also just like the emotion of like going through like your body like it, you just slammed into a planet like you're not feeling good like the, just the the stuff that she had to go through just to even stand up and then to start walking to figure out where she should uh, uh, find anyone else to talk to, which is her only guess is the sm- plume of smoke on the horizon. Um, but I, 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 I felt myself very compelled and I, I was just, I was really interested in, in her performance. And, and yeah, I, maybe it is because I'm kind of forgetting about the whole Vulcan upbringing thing, mm-hmm. but I, I feel like they've opened up her character a lot more over the past season and into this one where, where maybe we don't have to reference Spock every other uh, episode and like make yeah. sure that he's I don't know I'm watching yeah, I think, oh sorry. sorry Rudy 
Yeah, I, I was just going to say that the, the scene where she's sort of tripping on that truth serum, right? That was mm. that was that was fun for me. I think she did a good job, and and again, where she became emotional when she realized that the Federation was gone. Uh, yeah. I think she has that burden on her shoulders now, right? She is this, from our view, she's the senior most Federation officer and needs to rebuild the Federation. I think Notch with the suit, um, I, I don't know if you're talking about after she landed, but as she was landing, I, I just found a lot of technical flaws in the fact that a human had to like continuously coerce a suit to like reboot and, you know, issue reverse thrusters and all of that. So again, I'm going back to my ship design stuff. Um, <laughs> but, but I think Burnham as a character... Um, I think she was much more, uh, much much more free, and I, and I think that emotional aspect kind of does make sense considering she has to rebuild the Federation. Bill, yeah. can I can you you reference this early in the episode? So can I can I get you to have some input on this too? Yeah, <clears throat> my my reaction was really similar to yours, Notch. I, I found the suit sequence to be awkward. Um, the the elation or the the, the level of distraughtness that she feels. I think either one alone would have been fine, but you have this kind of sine wave where she, you know, she's like freaking out, then she's ecstatic, and then she's freaking out again. It was a little, it left me really confused. It was kind of like too much, uh, too, like, you know, in a really tight sequence. But fine, I mean, whatever. I, I agree that Soniqua Martin-Green is a fantastic actress and maybe too good for the writers. Um... And I don't know if they always utilize her in, in the best mm -hmm. way. But I think it's a good point, Emily and Adam, that you made, that they did, the writers have done some work to kind of distance her from that Vulcan background a little bit. And I hope they continue to do that more because I, I just, it, it, for me, it just makes her really hard to relate to. And yeah, it makes the character more boring. And I don't really understand why, what was gained by doing that in the first and, and place. And we're kind of inside character development <clears throat> conversations right now. And I want to, Something that really grates on me with Burnham, and this has happened multiple times in Discovery over the years. I think season two maybe got us a little bit out of that, but Pike's presence, again, I think was a major factor for why it was kind of screwed up. And I haven't told you what it is, which is that Burnham always looks at like this like person who needs help. Like she's always moving the plot along. And so she's the one instigating some sort of chaos and someone's got to come and bail her out like Book or Pike or Saru or whoever. And mm -hmm. I really don't like that. I want I want Sonequa Martin-Green to be the badass in, in the show who's like, who's able to actually like not be the, I don't know if damsel in distress is too strong a way to put it, but mm -hmm. I, I just don't want her to be in trouble all the time where someone has to come and help her. Like I want her to... Yeah. Be, and, and, and whenever she finds a solution, it's almost like this, like, I, I think I have a solution, maybe. I just wanted to be like, all right, let's 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 go. Let's move. Let's be the badass Starfleet officer. And we got a little bit of that when she was the second officer of the, uh, or the first officer of the Shinzu. Yeah. Um, but, and in it, it just, I don't want her to need people's help. And and that's that's the thing that, that I just wish we could just get her... Out of that, and I, I feel like some of the previews for the season have shown her getting out of that. Like mm -hmm. she's she's shown to be this like badass character, and I hope we get there uh, yeah. this season um, without other characters having to like help redeem her. If that makes sense. Am I, am I, am I off base? Anyone like is this is this coming from nowhere for y'all or no? I, I I think you're making a decent point, and, and I I don't know that I'd really processed it that way before, but. Um... 
I mean, it, it, this kind of connects to um, when I whenever I rewatch the first and second episode, I, I'm a little bit confused because it, it seems like a lot of the series uh, sort of it's taken for granted that uh, Burnham made a huge mistake and that's what caused the the Klingon war. I'm pretty sure she was correct and she should like she they should have fired on them and that that might have like she might have actually been doing the right thing in that first episode and i'm not sure that um so yes i i know that mutiny is wrong etc but the um the gravity of making those decisions i'm i'm not sure that she deserves the blame for all of that and i and i and it's it's troubled me that her care that like she herself took that on and i and i wonder mm-hmm. if that's sort of why we have burnham as the no longer the person who's just making that quick judgment even if it sounds crazy uh and instead is sort of uh waiting back and then needing to be rescued by someone as as you said i i think we saw a little bit of that when she does that quick turnaround on a book and gets him arrested instead of her mm-hmm. um but yeah so so maybe we are going in that direction this season I, I love when she punched Book three times. Like, that was great. Yes, like, finally, yes. like, she's being yanked around this planet, yeah. and, like, this dude is not telling her, like, what's happening. Thank yeah. you. Like, that. that is... Yeah. Uh, more of that, please. I, so I found it really funny that... Okay, so, so at the end of Season 2, they're just jumping into the future. Are they aiming for Carolisium in a thousand years, or is it kind of just, like, a blind jump? I don't I, remember. I think they... She might have expected Terralisium to be where they end up because her mother mentions it so much. And it seems to be somehow her mom is anchored in Terralisium when she goes to the future. Mm. Um, okay, so it's it's they maybe have an idea, but it's kind of a Yeah, guess it's sort of like, a, well, when so you I'm, go there, gonna, it ends up being yeah. Terralisium, but that's it. Okay, all right, I'm going to segue to book. So, okay, so she gets spat out into the future. Uh, just so happens to be in orbit around a habitable planet, which seems very improbable to me. I think, you know, it's much more likely that you would end up in, like, the intergalactic void. Okay, whatever. And then just so happens to be directly in the pathway of a very attractive man flying a ship. You know, it's not an ugly guy, you know? <laughs> Two attractive it, it's people a 30, it's colliding a century, in orbit, around, you know? <laughs> and then, you know, so I, I also watched this episode with my wife, who has never seen Star Trek before, and when they get to the planet, uh, Burnham and Book start fighting, and my wife is like, wait, why are they fighting? I'm like, well, you know, they're fighting because then they're going to become friends and then they're going to become lovers later on. So they just, I don't know. This is the way TV shows like this work is they just start off fighting and, you know. That's mm-hmm. how I got together with my right. husband. You know, we, yeah. we started fighting first. And, uh, yeah, he, he went after her with a wrench and it was Right, exactly. And then it's like, you know, then the tension just became yeah. so strong. Yeah, I, I remember that. We, we talked about that all the yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I am curious where Burnham goes, but I think this is a good time to move into talking about book. However, I'm going to I'm going to make us take a break as we're 15 minutes into the podcast and we'll come back in just a second. Come on to Burnham. Now I'll tell you a secret. I'm not a commissioned officer. You see, my father was his father before him. Unlike them, I was never officially sworn in. 
there has been no one to do it. Yet, I watch this office every day as I have for 40 years, believing one day others like me would walk through that door, that my hope was not in vain. Today is that day, and that hope is you, Commander Burnham. Welcome back to Strange New Takes. I have an important piece of news just taken from Memory Alpha, which is Ellen Landry, played by Rekha Sharma, yet another Indian character or Indian actress playing a non-Indian named person. You know, all those Indians in Mumbai named Ellen Landry walking around. <laughs> anyway, former security chief for the uh, Discovery. Yeah. Uh, move along uh, to talking about Book Cleveland Booker. Is his full name? I don't know if you hear that in the episode itself, but in the ready yeah. room, in in the stuff, is Cleveland Booker. He's got book. Uh, oh, interesting. Wonder if he's gonna be turn out to be a. Uh, I mean, he's already a criminal. Maybe he's he is actually a preacher, and you know, it's a Firefly inversion. So, oh, I don't yeah. Know, but, <laughs> well, but, actually, uh, well, it certainly <laughs> does feel Firefly esque. You know, the whole courier you know yeah. delivering mm, shipments yeah and- well and right i i guess the the name answers one of my critical questions that i i was if he's human or or not if his name is cleveland like that seems pretty human <laughs> yeah i don't know but you know hey a thousand years well and let's let's i mean it's like more than a thousand you know we're like two thousand years from our time right so, uh, I mean, what's human? Uh, who knows? I mean, people could be so yeah, inter- for sure, for sure, mingled that there's oh. you know. And he's also obviously from London, so there's- <laughs> <laughs> he, he's from the English part of the galaxy. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so so we dust on dust on the fact that he's got instant chemistry with Burnham. How convenient! Very nice, mm-hmm. good, good for him. Uh, I do enjoy he has a cat. Like grudge is an internet yeah. phenomenon already. Huge get. Yeah, yeah. massive. And, and his, his explanation. Problem. Yeah, his explanation for why she's named Grudge is just great. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So so that that's pretty cool. I like that. Um, Spot versus Grudge. Go. <laughs> well, Grudge can feed a whole planet according to that guy. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that was great. She's a queen. <laughs> also, Grudge has only played by a single cat so far. So yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's spots it's, played by way lo- different looking yeah, cats. It, it, it <laughs> changes. Well, well so it, in the end of season three, if we have seven different versions of uh, Grudge, then we can really definitively say who is better or not. But for now, it's up in the air. Okay. I feel uh, like Grudge really is a queen. Like, I mean, that is a magnificent looking cat. Yeah. And I don't I, see I'm how you can have to... any other cat play that cat. Like, I feel like that cat is a one in a million cat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There is some conversation about if, if he's conserving, like, endangered species and he has a cat. Like, what does that say about cats <gasps> in the future? Um, yeah. Very sad. Well, at, at least we, wow. we are cut off potentially from Earth. So it could be just that there aren't cats here. But what what would happen if Ta'ana and the Kacians met a cat? Like I I want to I want to know like would they be like hmm are you dumb humans enslaving <laughs> my people or like I, I it, it's complicated, you know? 
complicated. Yeah, Maybe this is this is another question for the bill director. Don't think too deep about this shit. <laughs> it's and it's so it's funny they're called cations. <laughs> like, what if there was a species called the dog? Yeah. <laughs> Just filled with good boys. It's basically, what it is. <laughs> That's their greeting to each other. Who's good boy? We are. <laughs> um, uh, okay. Okay. Back to book. Back to book. I. It, he has magic nature powers. Mm-hmm. Is he human? Yeah. Well, maybe they mention they mention that, or he mentions that he is a once in many generations what gene pool anomaly. He's coming from a lineage of hunters and poachers, yeah. so maybe it's just him who has these powers. And um, I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah, that was my take that he's human and. Had, you know, I don't know. I mean, you know, he starts speaking some vaguely Semitic language and the, oh. you know, you know, plant grows out of the water. I don't know. I mean, okay, he has superpowers. Fine. I, it's not my favorite, but, you know, I just, I hope, I hope they don't overdo it, you know. And I, th- I think he would have been interesting without superpowers. But Yeah, I, I, I was, I was a little <clears throat> uncertain. But the, but the thing is, I, I, I think it's interesting if we're going in the direction of, um, Perhaps a unique human culture has arisen over, like in the time span between now and then, and it, like because it, it definitely it, there was a, uh, I was, um, it, it, it I, I don't know it's I feel like so much of Star Trek it's it's either well we Christianity is just like completely gone but like it, maybe we'll we'll make an uh, an homage to like the the Greeks or the Romans or we will. Uh, have like a, a shout out to like a uh, space Judaism of, of some sort of way, but like it's it was interesting to see someone who uh, at least for, from my perspective it seemed more uh, uh, Muslim in the way that where he was sort of kneeling down and f- seemed like he might be facing a particular direction, but th- then he, then magic lights came up over his mm. eyes and like okay it's not an Earth religion that we know of right now, but wait the Muslims you know don't do that. Lights <laughs> sorry I, I i didn't notice that that part where there's just magic uh, plants coming out of the ground but the uh it's it, i think it's interesting to explore a society in star trek where it is humans that have created a religion and maybe it's not because they're just crazy and they misinterpreted like some space god or a space person that came down and like gave them something like that it, it could there's just a be... star trek episode about that because yes. it's Apollo is shown to be an alien. Yes, yeah, like, like the, that, that is literally the way that Star Trek explains all religions. And so I'm, I'm just I'm compelled to see a new culture that creates a religion, and it's uh, it's because these people are just like they have a, a connection with animals and or or they 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 believe in something, and that like maybe they produce technology that sort of goes along with it, but it's not because of that they were misled by some random uh alien or something I, I i don't know i i'm just i'm in i like yeah uh cultural exploration in star trek and i and i'm just intrigued to see it uh, sort of going into that the the we did see some people with book 
smiling as the worms had fun, which is one of my more annoying TV tropes is where you have met one character and then they do something good. And then there's a whole bunch of other characters who strangely look like that person who are all like smiling and happy about the thing that has just happened. I don't know. It is something that I probably am alone in noticing, but hopefully you get to meet some of those people and find out if this is a culture or if it's just book on his own, like what the situation is on this planet where these people are uh, are conserving Mm-hmm. Um, some of these species. Um, David Ajala is the actor who plays Book. He is a member of the Royal Shakespeare Company, which is amazing. He is friends with Patrick Stewart. Uh, if you watch the Ready Room Yo. with Phil Wheaton, you uh, you saw you saw you saw him mention that. I am super pumped to have another Shakespearean trained actor in um, in Star Trek in this way. I think that is super cool. Uh, not just because he says the band sometimes, <laughs> um, but uh, I yeah we we'll see what happens with book. He's got he's we talked about a ship already. Uh, we talked about grudge. Let's talk about Molly the Transworm. <laughs> Before that, quick uh, quick yeah. note: D- David Ajala isn't he the the one of the leads on that uh, sci-fi show, The Night Flyers? If you guys have seen it, I see. Um, I don't know on Netflix. I have not it's, watched it. It's actually <laughs> yes, an interesting it is. one. Yes, he is. No. Oh, it, I know it, yeah. It's, it's, it, y'all should, I mean, yeah, it's kind of like, it's almost like Event Horizon, but a series, so hey, take a look if you want. 35% yeah. on Rotten Tomatoes. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe I'll pass. Well, l- let's, uh, let's look at these episodes on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> yeah, okay. R- mo- mo- <laughs> Molly the Transworm. Probably better than 35%. Hey, come Probably. on, y'all. Molly is just waiting to be discussed I, I and offended. I don't want to be. Okay, I don't okay. want to be eaten by a transform. It's always so gross when you know that's pretty, pretty nasty. <laughs> I mean, at least Burnham was still wearing her clothes, unlike Boimler, who got eaten by the crab uh, yeah, or the true. spider. That's um, true. That's true. So, so that that happened with the, the and at goo. least you know, like I mean, I don't know how long it took for those other dudes that um, that Molly ate to you know eat them past the point of being able to regurgitate them whole but you know good thing good thing i Molly feel like there are limbs down. flying yeah it, so maybe there is something different that she that he or no, sorry well i guess I, I i don't know how transworms work so i don't need to get too specific <laughs> about the pronouns of them uh but the uh maybe there is something different that molly was doing to burnham that like like a a holding pattern of like, oh, I'm going to swallow you whole just in case my master needs me to do something with you. I don't know. Friend, like don't have to be master. Something. Oh, fair, yeah. fair, fair. Yeah, he's he's probably not into into that with, with being so in tune with nature and all that stuff. Right, there you go. Um, Aditya Sahel, let, let's discuss this character that I'm so excited about. Rudy, you have feelings. Yeah, so I watched this episode with my wife, and she had watched a little bit of Discovery season one and two, and she she didn't like it that much. Um, a little bit of the Michael Burnham stuff that we spoke about, but as we started, um, she recognized him and was like, "Oh, it's that guy from a bunch of Indian movies." Um, and yeah, he's a he's a popular he's a popular kind of popular uh, Indian actor in Bollywood. Um. You guys may have seen him in Life of Pi. He's uh, Pi's uh, father, Santosh Patel, the zookeeper who moves to uh, wants to move to Canada to escape uh, political prosecution. I think 
Um, he is the commissioner of police in a very good uh, Netflix series called Delhi Crime, which is about how the Delhi police catch the um, um, the three or four people who uh, you know raped and killed this girl, which became a big public sensation. He is the overbearing but eventually supportive Indian husband, uh, Satish Kotbole, in a, in, in, a, in a Bollywood movie called English English, which involves um, um, his wife who does not know how to speak English and then learns it herself in New York. So a good movie there. And also in a, in a funny but uh, funny and breakthrough-ish movie around um, IVF, uh, called Good News, where he's the lead doctor and they switch sperms, <laughs> the wrong babies. But oh. <laughs> long story short, he's... And ensues, I'm sure. <clears throat> long story short, um, he's got a good pedigree. He's won a national award in India. Um, and I like how he maintains his his uh, Indian English accent. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. uh, 100%. The way he's, he doesn't go commander. He goes commander. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> doesn't talk about sensors and <laughs> he doesn't show up on the screen being like, "Hello, my name is Robert Stevenson. <laughs> I have a American accent." <laughs> and honestly, he's the guy who I mean, his whole um, character, you know, makes the deal for me in this episode. It was a bit of a tearjerker for me at the end because that's why I watch Star Trek. Yeah. Right? For what it stands for, and, sure. And um. He's this guy who's generationally holding a vigil, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's so uh, heartwarming. But yeah, that's him, and uh, I really hope <laughs> keep him through the season. So. Well, he's also I, I a lot of times when Indian actors show up on TV shows that are not Indian, they tend to be the like. I mean, this is the same thing with Hollywood, right? Like mm-hmm. most of the people who show up are like extremely attractive, and like they could be like Mister India yesterday, and like. Uh, they typically have the same facial hair and a haircut as me, by the way. Almost like Indian <laughs> dudes in movies for the last like 10 years. My parents send me cuttings. It's very strange. <laughs> I had this stuff first. Anyway. It's the platonic uh, ideal. <laughs> but not to your point, have you seen Group Captain Ram Arya on Away? The, no. Uh, the show on Netflix <laughs> He does have the beard. Yeah, but but Sahil is not like that, right? Like, I'm not saying he's, like, unattractive order. He's just a normal-looking Indian dude, and that's yeah. that's cool, right? He's not, like, an Ash Tyler-looking dude. And I think that that's something that also gets to me in terms of his relatability in that moment of, like, I've been waiting 40 years for this. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I teared up at that that whole sequence as well where he pulls out the 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 flag and it's it's mm. finally his moment and to to join the family legacy and um i wonder if if the if the episode title refers to him probably not i, I feel like the, he isn't the hope but. I mean, it's it's referring to Burnham. I mean, and and yeah. he he calls her. You know, like mm. he says, "I've always had this hope, and you are." You know. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, I can't remember exactly. He says something to the fact, you know, um, this this we've had this hope that it could come mm-hmm. back, and mm-hmm. you are our hope. I can't remember what the name of the episode is now. I'm looking it up, and it's like missing. But, that hope um, is you. That and that yes yep, yes yep, yep. so we have this hope ahead of us, and that hope is you. You know, like her appearance in that moment it kind of solidifies like, oh, maybe we weren't uh, silly to have had this hope, you know? Maybe you should have said, that hope is you, part one. Part two will be when your ship gets here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, 
and Naj, quick call out. Um, I'm I'm glad they got Indian guy with Indian Indian name, but um, original actor is actually Adil Hussain, who who speaks a bunch of languages, Bengali, Assamese, mm-hmm. um, and so he is, I think, from that um, India Bangladesh area. They right. Have given him an a Muslim name. I don't know why they went with a Sahil. Um, right. But I don't know. Yeah, it's always curious how they name characters sometimes. I was listening yeah. to, I don't remember which, I think it might have been the West Wing Weekly where they had the like script supervisor for that show on for the West Wing. And they were talking about how when they name a character, they have to go through the like, not only just the phone book, but like Google them and make sure that there isn't somebody with that name in real life who could, who would be compelled to like make some sort of like identity-based case yeah. uh, litigation. But anyway, uh, talking about Sahil's vigil though, he puts on a map. He can only scan a few sectors. Long-range sensors in the space station have been down. It's kind of weird to me that the space station has been destroyed and kind of derelict, but there's a small part of it that might be alive. I'm kind of curious to see how much of it he can still inhabit versus... Are there other people in this station? Yeah, and does he have to defend this space uh, from people? Because it it seems like if we're stealing everything in this, like, dystopian future, like, why why did they leave this dude with... Who has just like a magic bed and a sweet desk <laughs> and a flag? And, and what my favorite feature of the thir- of the thirty second century is that I can have a parrot wake me up every morning. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, my That's my favorite is I don't deal. need I don't need to go for in for dental cleanings. That shit happens at home. Thank yeah. you. I, hey, I, I do you know. applaud the creators of Star Trek Discovery for having the courage to show us people brushing their teeth. And then right. also in answering the same question, how do they do it in the 32nd century? Nobody hey. peeing yet, though. I want to see Aditya Sahel on screen taking a dump. We did see uh, the a silhouette <laughs> of Klingons peeing, which confirmed that they have two down there. So, uh, What? Yeah. Yeah, when it, did it, that it's, happen? It's, it's in the end of uh, season one. There's a, a Klingon that is peeing, and you see two streams. Uh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to go back and watch that because I did not it, it remember is, that. We need an episode about section. this now. Uh, Just that. Currently. <laughs> the implications. Uh, but anyway, getting back to <laughs> Mr. Sahil and the stuff he's doing in the station that isn't, you know, bathroom related. Uh, also, by the way, when I was doing that, Kee! that's a noise that happens when they do dental cleaning. I just want yes. to point that out. People can't see mm. what I'm doing in a podcast uh, yet. Uh, but okay, so he turns on the map, which can only scan a few sectors. And we see, he says, there are only two Federation ships I can see or some, something to that effect. Mm-hmm. And there's some speculation I saw being like, are those Starfleet vessels? Those Federation was He says Federation, they're not Starfleet. But if you look at his map, there's actually the Starfleet Delta on top of it. Mm-hmm. So it says unidentified starship. If you, we, we, we paused it, we blew it up. It says unidentified starship 21210. And then the rest of the stuff is very, I can't really see. It says intersonic, long range, something, something. But no. it's too difficult to see what exactly uh, is going signature. on. Yeah, but but it's it seems like it, it looks like um, it might be a Starfleet ship. It does... Uh, We'll have to see. So there's there's some sort of relics of the Federation uh, in there, and then let's let's uh, this this isn't isn't exactly a character development, but a the Federation flag has changed. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, there's only and I was I found it interesting. So if you look at the original flag, um, it seems to me like there are three prominent stars on that flag, and then there's a whole star field. Mm-hmm. Um. 
But I find that interesting because shouldn't there have weren't there four founding uh, humans, races, Andorians, Vulcans, Tellarites, Tellarites, Tellarites. So shouldn't I find it interesting that there's only three on this? No one star- likes the Tellarites on- though, so yeah, the maybe. Andorians and the Vulcans probably uh, got rid of that right away. So then <laughs> they have there's six on this flag that we have in this episode of Discovery. You know, two of them are prominent and then the other four are smaller and then it's missing all of the other anyway i saw i I just found that interesting that um the way it has changed Mm -hmm. and you know when would that have been you know like i mean and over Mm -hmm. the course of it would just be interesting to to see you know progression of the flags or i don't know obviously who gets who gets written off yeah yeah are those still olive branches or are they something else now yeah, they. You, you're right. You did say they kind of look more weapon. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> more weapons like, and they. It's kind the of Klingon Federation like... Empire, <laughs> right? Batman daggers or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd be cool if the flag comes alive and Burnham like grabs those two daggers and <laughs> <laughs> like you know, uses them as sides. But uh, yeah, so okay, okay. Well, let's let's move into trivia. Um, the this is. The episode that makes it so that Sonequa Martin-Green is now the only cast member of the series to appear in every single episode. Congratulations. Uh, side note, has anyone seen her in Walking Dead? I have not. Yes, I have. Is what's the, what's is the character like substantially different? Is it is it like uh, I'm just kind of curious. Like there, there's still kind of an obsessive quality to her character because she, uh, I think she's kind of a sniper. I, I don't I don't remember exactly the whole arc of her of her character, okay. but I think she it, it's I believe it's her and her brother are oh, okay. uh, sort of traveling through things together when they get introduced to the main cast and. Uh, yeah, it, it that was my only exposure to Sonequa Martin Green before Star Trek. So I was kind of like, "Oh, cool!" Like now I've seen her in two places, but I, um, she wasn't a major enough character for me to have like a uh, a whole lot of memories about her specifically. But um, yeah, I, I remember that she was decent in that as well. Yeah, I wanna I wanna maybe someday catch up with Walking Dead. I got it to the end of the second season, then I had to stop. So um, yeah. They're just kind of curious. Season but... seven is real rough. Season eight, actually good. Okay. All right. Uh, we'll see if I ever get there. Aside from <laughs> this, this is a direct quote from Memory Alpha. Aside from the lithium warp drive, book mentions quantum substream drive previously seen in Hope and Fear, Timeless, and Reference in Think Tank, all three episodes of Voyager. Solar Sails, previously seen in DS9 Explorers and mentioned in Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. The process of recrystallizing dilithium occur- appeared in The Voyage Home and in uh, Runaway, which I think is a short trek. And uh, the book also meant book, not the book, book also mentions trilithium, <laughs> best known for its appearance in Generations mm. and used in the pocket uh, original series novels, Battle Stations as a solid power source for transwarp drive. Shout out to my favorite line in all of Star Trek. Uh, time is the fire in which we all burn um, from generations. The burn. So, which he, he's oh, talking yeah. about the burn. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> See, it yeah. all connects. <laughs> Saren was behind this all along. Okay. Uh, what is, is his name Saren? Soren. You're, Soren. You're thinking Mass Effect. Uh, yes. If you, <laughs> did any if you of you. Take, oh, 
Go ahead, Rudy. No, I was just going to say, if you take too many hard lefts, you kind of end back. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Right, okay. <laughs> Did any of you notice that, well, I don't, at the end of the episode, I turned to my husband and said, I don't think there was a single white person in that episode. Jenny said the exact same thing. Yeah. Uh, oh, wow. Now, a- actors, yes, because uh, the actors yeah, the, the, the Orion, the Andorian I think was, and the Orion, yeah. I think. But, it, but in terms but, of like humans, I, I, yep. I don't think I, I, maybe there's like a rando that's shown like in the background in yeah. a dystopia land, but. But I just, an I re- and I, I really appreciated the last scene, especially mm-hmm. like having, you know three actors of color that were yeah that were hmm. declaring this you know and and i was i was really interested watching um book's face while uh burnham and um and Salia were having this conversation about you know mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. when she's kind of bestowing a commission up on him and mm-hmm. i was trying to decide what he was thinking and feeling in that moment you know was he like gosh these true believers these people are or was he was he getting in some sort of sense of hope from this or is he just like supposed to get out here as fast as possible or you know (laughs) yeah yeah i i i think he's he's turning into that smuggler with a heart of gold uh uh situation Mm. so yeah he's i i think he's 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 coming along to those uh to that uh that true believer stance, I, I think. I, that's that's what I got from that scene. Uh, back to your point about the actors' race, I'm just hoping that the season inverts us completely and every white person that we meet is like Amitabh Chakraborty or like a Rahul Singh. <laughs> and like, you, you know, it's just... Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I hope Book doesn't become too good too quickly. Or But then I'm thinking like, I don't want that also, that trope of he's been bad all along and he betrays her yeah. one more time and you can't trust yeah. it. I don't know. Which trope do I not want this person to become? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just, I, I felt like he was kind of just a, a Han Solo for a lot of it. And I, 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 I don't know. I I don't know that we need that as so much in Star Trek. And uh, I, I don't know. So I, I'm, I'm fine if they more push him into one direction or the other. But yeah, I, I, think... I, I see your point. I don't, it seems weird to have him be an ultimate betrayer or something with, with how like yeah. heartfelt we saw that ending. Uh, with I would the like worms. to think that someone who, who does the, who takes these kind of risks to ensure that endangered species have a shot are more than just a Han Solo kind of character, yeah. you know, like no offense to Han Solo. And I'm, I will confess I'm totally a star Wars, a star Trek person and not a Star Wars person, even though I've watched all the Star Wars. But um, you have to be in order I, to be on I, this podcast. That was one of the requirements. Yeah. So, um, but I, I feel like he just is in. It's it just it, the way he interacts with Burnham to me seems more commentary on the time he's living in rather than mm. the character he is. Mm. So yeah. that's kind of how I interpreted it, that he, he had those interactions with her. And also, I mean, clearly he could have dispatched of Burnham really easily had he not gone, ha! Yeah, yeah. He went to go so, Especially on the second yeah. viewing. I was like, why did you just yeah. say ha? I'm like, you were behind her and she was totally mesmerized by what she was seeing, that she would have had no idea that anyone was behind her to dispatch her. So, you know. Yeah, she doesn't have the Vulcan ears, just the Vulcan right. uh, training. So yeah, you yeah, could have just exactly. blocked her. Uh, that's, that's great. Um, 
All right, we are we are getting a, this episode is getting a little long in the tooth yeah. as such. So let's let's move on to strange new ratings. Who wants to stick their neck out and give this episode a rating? I'm entering them in our spreadsheet. Mm. Okay, I'll go first. Uh, I'm gonna give this episode a rating of eight transworms. <laughs> no, 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 no really above solid. no, no uh, rating above that. Like with, out of nothing that we know of, or. It's it's an it's not a relative okay. scale. It's absolute okay. scale. I mean, <laughs> it's it, just they're eight of them. It's, no, <laughs> no, it's eight out of ten. Eight out of ten. Uh, yeah, I mean, I thought it was really solid. It was the best start for a season of D- Discovery, I think, so far. Um, I I was a little bit reluctant about the kind of quasi reboot that they're doing, but I think I like the direction they're going mm-hmm. in. Having seen this first episode, and I'm optimistic that it's going to uh, be a good season. I think they've, you know, really. The, what what they did in this episode was uh, introduce Book to Burnham, right, and start that relationship and, and get us familiar with the world that they're in and kind of lay out the mission for the season. And I am optimistic that it's going to be uh, a, a coherent season. So, eight out of ten. <clears throat> I I can go next. Um, I was um, undecided between seven point five. Um, unreached sectors out of 10 or 8 but i will go with 8 um and i think i think the real pull for me was how they ended it um what one of the difficulties i've had with discovery in the previous seasons and you kind of a lot of you caught up on it touched upon it um is they try to do a lot they try to do too much and maybe they open really broad to try and maybe they're trying to open really broad to to not really have to force a hard left later on. Mm-hmm. I think they put in a lot of things in this first episode. Um, I, I do understand the production value bit with the ships, but I've always looked at Star Trek and being a little more um, uh, logically uh, understandable, so I never really got those gimbal ships. Um, also, I, I, I want to find out how big a sector is. Uh, I did some quick math and... and stuff that they talked about didn't quite add up maybe we can talk about that in another uh, episode star, but... star trek and measurements have never been friends uh <laughs> every 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 ship is always a thousand kilometers away but shown to be like within a hundred meters of the ship so uh yeah i'm not sure if we'll get yeah. a good definition on that <laughs> so so okay in the star trek encyclopedia sector is defined as a volume of space approximately 20 light years across Typical sector in Federation space will contain about six to ten star systems. And although sector stores of a galactic core will contain more. Um, mm, that that math works, actually, because he said he had um, he could only send 30 sectors and he did mention 600 light years. Mm-hmm. So that is that, that is correct math there. Okay. But then again, she was she was asking about which quadrant and the Milky Way is about 100, 200 K across. So anyways, um yeah, eight out of ten because I really liked how it ended, and I think there is value in a rebuild um, over time if they do it right. So I I got very excited about this innovation I had for uh, the last time I gave a rating for an episode, which is instead of giving a single rating, I'm allowed to just arbitrarily give multiple <laughs> ratings. Uh, so I'm I'm going to say that this episode has uh, I I think it's it's a seven out of ten for just like this episode by itself 
the the writing felt a little bit awkward. Like I understand that there were a lot of things that were challenging about this episode. Uh, like how like I don't even how do you even go a thousand years in the future and have it be coherent at all um, if you're going to make that a very different time? But um, so a, a lot of it felt kind of messy to me, and I I I just I wasn't super into all of it, but. I will give it an 8 out of a 10 for how excited I am for that this might be a a, a great season of, of Star Trek with, with where, where we just sort of have a hand-wavy, like, a little bit of an awkward beginning. Because it, there, I, there's a lot of the hope, there's a, a lot of chance for, for building up, like, like why do we care about the Federation? Like, why, why is it important? Uh, instead of just giving like sort of lip service of like, oh well, we don't have an economy anymore. We we're, we've evolved beyond those those things. Like, it, it would be really interesting to see us try to build something for a change. And I I just I'm I'm really excited. I'm going to go with a three point seven five out of five, Ooh. and I raised it. Because of the last few minutes of the episode, oh. um, so the last the I, I I'm I like and I didn't so it's funny I enjoyed the episode more the first time I watched it, the second time I watched it is when all of the dystopian nature mm-hmm. I was just like oh I'm just done I'm just done with this just give me some hopeful <laughs> Star Trek that I can feel good about in this world that is like. stressing me out and gives me anxiety and you know so so give me something to believe in right and i felt like it gave me something to believe in in the last five minutes Mm -hmm. and so that bumped my so if so i kind of almost would do what adam did um with his score it's a great way to Uh, do it it is throw out numbers because don't get lost in decimals then yeah really (laughs) i need to see and i i am excited about the possibility that we could really explore what the values of the Federation are, right? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. there are, as Lower Decks has kind of pointed out, it's kind of put poked some holes in the Federation, right? And pointed out, it makes fun of, but also kind of shines a light on the things about the Federation that are a little bit hanky, you know, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. like what does, what really is the prime directive and, and when do we apply it? And, and, you know, yeah. why do we help in some situations and not in others? So I'm excited to explore what the Federation really stands for as far as like what Burnham is working towards and um, what this uh, officer now, now a commissioned officer, you know, what, yeah. what he's been, what hope has he been holding on to over these 40 years? So that's exciting. I would like to have that be a multi-year arc, though. I don't want that to happen too quickly. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I think some of the potential of this new world we're in is is some of that. Also, by the way, Lord X is for sure sending one of their characters 900 years in the future and then bringing them right back a few seconds later. <laughs> Something funny is going to happen. Like, that's going to happen in the next season. Um, you know, I, I am going to go with a 6.5 on 10 uh, in my rating. And that's only because... I feel like seven is my like cusp of rewatchability where I'm like driven to watch the episode again. And that's not really where I am. I didn't dislike it. Don't get me wrong. This wasn't a bad episode or anything like that. I feel like my bad episode is like four or five, like below that is where I would like be like, ah, that was terrible. But yeah, I, I just, it had good pieces. I like where it's going. So maybe if the next few episodes are fantastic, I'll want to go back and watch this to see the setup for them. Mm-hmm. But on its own, eh, whatever. 
it's all right. I think I will agree with whoever said that it's a very strong start to a season. Um, and so, yeah, uh, more to come, more to come. Uh, also, Adam, you are not getting more columns in the spreadsheet. I'm putting all your ratings into a single column, which means that calculating aggregate ratings is going to be a pain, but <laughs> such is life. Um, you're going to have to do that later. I'm not doing it. Um, all right. Let's uh, let's let's keep moving on to. Well, that's it. I, I don't have anything else in the notes. So um, I'm very excited to join you all next week and talk about more of this because that's that's going to be fun. Uh, thank you, Bill. Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Rudy. And thank you, Adam, for joining me this week. Thank you, Diana and Max, wherever you all are. And thank, thank you, you Notch. Notch. And thank you, Notch. Hey, yes. thank you, guys. Oh, for that. Hey, hey. Very nice. Very nice. Thank you, listener, for being here. Thank you for giving us a rating on Apple Podcast. Don't think we forgot about that. Uh, follow us at Strange New Takes on social media, blah, blah, blah. Thank you, Jishnu Guha, who recorded our theme music. He is amazing. He has a podcast called Geek Fruit. Go listen to that if you so choose. And thank you to all the derelict starship out there in the 32nd century without you we wouldn't know that this is a dystopian bad place where something horrible has happened your wreckage reminds us every time and it gives us a great setting for a little starship chase which who doesn't need cool stuff for starships to zip around so thank you debris field uh hope we hope we see more of you goodbye everybody see you next week bye